Tonight, live on stage, the most gruesome five substances Fleetwood Mac had a coke fuel orgy at the back of their tour bus. Please welcome, Devil Time 5! Hello Wembley! You are listening to episode 83 of the Devil Times 5 Horror Podcast, where this month we're talking about horror movies revolving around rock bands. Everyone from the beach bums in Phantom of the Paradise to Spastic Colon from Shock and Dead. <laughs> Not to be confused with Beach Colon, which is a sunbather's digestive complaint, or Spastic Bum, which is a 1980s playground insult. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe I laughed at that. <laughs> No, I can't believe I'm still laughing at it. <laughs> it's a great yeah. combination of faces of Cliff looking really pleased with himself and Emily just trying to refrain. Control herself. I'm Cliff and backing me up by plucking the one string bass, strumming the hairy banjo and blowing the pink oboe, though not necessarily in that order, are Simon, Emily and Bryony. Hello. And on the drums of death, this month's guest devil is comedian Dan Fardell. Hello, Dan. Hello. Hello. You good? You just been to Berlin? I have just got back from Berlin. Yep, it was lovely. Were you hoping to do a Bowie over there? Yeah, I subsisted entirely on cocaine and milk, <laughs> hence my healthy appearance. You inspired anyone to make a film about teenagers doing smack? Well, I mean, I do that every day. Good. But nothing in particular. No, all right, fair enough. Uh, well, as our listeners will have heard at the end of the last episode, the night before Halloween, Bryony, Simon and I went to the Independent Podcast Awards in London's weirdly regenerated King's Cross... It'll look nice when it's finished. Let's talk you through what happened that night then. So we got the train, yeah. got off the train. Yeah. Uh, Bryony dived out the first exit for a smoke, which meant that we had to walk all the way around St Pancras to get the right way. It was a right fun way. trip. It was a fun walk. It was a long walk. I got my steps in. Scenic route. Mm. Mm. Uh, we went to the Star of Kings for lovely Mexican yeah, food. Yeah, was good. Mm, Didn't realise we were going to do it in so much detail. Should we have like a travel we all had? Yeah, no, we had the, we we had the had beef tacos. Yeah, pork scratching weird Cracking things. Weird pork yeah. scratchings, yeah. We thought we could get away with turning up at the last minute at the ceremony because, yeah, we thought it would just be a welcoming drink that you get for free. But no, free bar from half seven. So we missed the first hour of that. Never mind. That was good. Like, got photos taken in front of the all important banner. Mm-hmm. Then we went into the ceremony. Esther Manito was comparing. She was very good. Yeah. And I think 40 minutes before our category was announced, the horror and supernatural category. And we lost to the four blokes who do a podcast about playing Call of Cthulhu, the role-playing game, uh, with sound effects and acting and stuff. Like sound Adonis. effects and acting, oh. honestly. Yeah. Who uses sound effects? Yeah. We use sound effects. We have production yeah, values. We have acting. Do you think Cliff is a real person? No, it's a wacky character. <laughs> <laughs> He's an eldritch horror. Yeah. yeah. And we're all very scared of him. Yeah, we look at him and we go insane. <laughs> Yeah, so take that Independent Podcast Awards judging <laughs> panel. That should have He's been not us. at all salty. No. And then we mingled. Yeah. We mingled. The free bar was still free. Yeah, it was mm. way more booze than they advertised. I know. It was amazing. And uh, we mingled. Saw um, Lucy and Jenny from Fingers on Buzzers. Grania from The Way We Were. Uh, Amanda Redmond, the award-winning producer of Drunk Women Solving Crime. I saw Athena Cableno, who also won an award, Tin and Dieb. And we met the Drunken Horror Girls from our rival Brighton Horror Film Podcast, who are also up for an award, up for the same award. They also didn't win, but they seem lovely. Yeah, shame we had to kick off and, you know, have a fight. (laughs) The only Brighton-based horror podcast. They're very well-dressed. 
Very I'll give him that. <laughs> Very well. Better dress than us. Well, no, you had a, a Dario Argento shirt on. You, you went for I it. I did. I'd had my Dario Argento X Killstar Inferno shirt with the skeleton from Inferno on it. We all had nice shoes. I remember us compared to each other's shoes. We did compare shoes. Compare shoes. <laughs> it was a fun away day for Double Time yeah, 3. <laughs> it was great. Loved it. A night of highs and lows, I suppose. Talking of which, I mean, fucking award-winning segues, surely. <laughs> now it's time to separate the platinum discs from the gold-plated shit as we reveal our highs and lows from our last few weeks of horror viewing. Uh, Dan, you haven't spoken for three minutes. You had to sit through all that. No, it's lovely. Do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, mine isn't really from the last few weeks. It's slightly further, but I haven't been on here before, so I've just been holding it in. Did mm-hmm. any of you see The Pope's Exorcist? Yeah, I watched oh. that this month. It's so good. <laughs> oh, you liked it? Oh, God, I thought it was just so tedious. Like, yeah, it was great. It was like how to suck all the excitement out of anything to do with exorcism. Uh, it was like a really sort of, I don't know, I thought it was a really odd procedural thing. And Russell Crowe really needs to go to a doctor at some point because uh, he's struggling. What does he need to go to a doctor yeah. for? Well, he just looks like he's, you know, he's, he's any minute now numerous conditions are going to catch up to him. No, that's what's making him good. So since he's entered this round <laughs> phase, he's been making some brilliant tags. <laughs> okay. So it, started, it started with Man with the Iron Fists by Rizza from Wu-Tang, where he plays a villain and he just chews it up and there's a great scene with some anal beads and it's continuing to this like, I must solve the crime. And it's just, I'm here for Russell Crowe's. I hope he just goes... On and on and on and becomes Malcolm McDowell. I must admit, if he had used some anal beads in The Devil's Exorcist, I might have given it a bit more cred, you know. it was. Well, if you haven't got a rosary to hand, yeah. you have to improvise, yeah. don't you? Yeah, I suppose if, you're, if your hands are full, where are you going to keep your yeah. rosary? I mean, there is a ghostly booby woman in it being more like, ah, I'm a so ghostly and a booby. <laughs> so he could have whacked them out then and be like, hey, no, I'm a Russell Crowe. I'm going to put this I'm up in your bum. If you enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. If he <laughs> sticks up a ghost bum, puts on his high setting, job done. <laughs> <laughs> One hey. Hail Mary. Two Hail Mary. Sticking it up in your bum, eh? <laughs> Bit of holy water as lube. There you go. <laughs> Sexy exorcisms for I'm, I'm, I'm here for Oh, oh sorry. Wait a second. Rectoplasm. Hey. hey. Very good. So that's a low, is it, Dan? It was for me, yeah, but obviously I was wrong. I'm just. Oh no, you're 100 percent correct. I just I like shit films. You're loving it, yeah. I, I I've uh, I had a whole period where I, I was too anxious to watch anything of this nature, and it's only the last few years I'm like finding my taste for it all. So I'm very ill informed. I'm a real neophyte in this sort of thing. My other low, I'm just watching. Did any of you watch like? Walking Dead and the, the various spin-offs and stuff. Uh, uh, yeah. Stopped halfway yes through. No. Yeah. Oh, God, I, I can't let it go. It's like it's the same with relationships. I cling on to the bitter end. And I'm <laughs> I'm just clawing through the last few episodes of Fear the Walking Dead. And it, it hit a good point in like seasons three or four or whatever. And it's just gone down this weird slide of utter terribleness. And this last season, it's just it's decrepit. It's like... <laughs> Really poor screenwriting, and they're all given up. It's like they've all brought board games in to the writer's room and just let ChatGPT deal with the hard work. I got to a point with Walking Dead where I realised, you know, I don't actually have to watch this. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I can actually oh stop. And I stopped. Where were you, Simon? Why didn't you give me permission to not watch it? Because that's essentially what I need. Granted, you don't have to do it. But I've only got three episodes left. You're an adult, you don't have to do anything. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, it's such a great thing <laughs> really? to realise that something shit, you could stop. 
Brilliant. Oh, that's yeah, the only one. time you can't really apply that is when we have these podcast films. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Have to watch the fucking shit films. If I'm allowed to stop doing shit things, I hereby announce my retirement from stand-up. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Spare, <laughs> spare audiences in a, like a five-mile radius from me, because that's about it. <laughs> Emily? Um, I've got two highs. Neither of them, I suppose, strictly horror, but they are both quite psychologically disturbing and also both an absolutely brilliant trip. I saw Bo is Afraid yeah. after you guys both talked about it. It's a journey. For the first half hour, I was thinking, is, is Ari Aster taking the piss? Did he take all of A24's money and go, ah, fuck it, I'm just going to recreate in a very, very heightened way all my anxious episodes, (laughs) all my therapy sessions, etc. But it's just a real, completely batshit journey. And then there's the bit in the middle, which is animated, which is absolutely beautiful. Do you remember a few months ago I talked about uh, my high was The Wolf House? This Chilean yeah. Um, animation. That, that's yeah, it was the same animators, wasn't it? I've been trying to track that down because I want to watch that because I love a bit of uh, stop motion anyway. But um, yeah, I just thought it was it was a cracking film. It wasn't a comfortable watch. It wasn't an easy watch. But because it's so long, I watched it over two nights and it kind of benefited from that a bit because just sort of step away from that and just go. Ugh. So in a weird way, considering that I am myself quite an anxious person, I actually found it quite cathartic. Because I watched it, well, at least that's not happened to me. That's something. <laughs> it would be mad if it had. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if, I don't know, maybe I've got a willy monster somewhere, but the, the loft is quite full here. I think I'd notice um, <laughs> if there was one about. Um, so that was an adventure watching that. And the other one, again, not definitely not strictly horror at all, was um, I saw Saltburn last oh, weekend. Oh, yeah, is it good? I loved it. I mean, people have been really, really divided on it because they're kind of like, well, it's style over substance, blah, 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 and all the characters are horrible. Yes, that's kind of the point. It's like, you know, in um, Killing of a Sacred Deer, mm. where... Um, Barry, I can never pronounce Keegan. 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 You're the Celt, Simon. I think it's Keegan. I think it's it's a uh, it's Cowman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean I'm fucking contrary cunt. I'm half Irish. I haven't got a clue about Irish names. Uh, it's Keoghan. But anyway, that that guy. If you can imagine the same character that he played in Killing of a Sacred Deer. Mm. Except now he's an adult and he's both creepy as fuck, greasy as fuck, but alternately terrifying and also sometimes quite sexy. It's an absolutely amazing performance from him. And yeah, the character he plays is basically the devil. It is one of the classic genre of rich people acting like cunts and horrible things happening. <laughs> there are other great examples of that recently, like Infinity Pool, etc. And I'd say definitely go and see Saltburn. It's a beautiful looking film. It's very, very funny, but extremely dark. Mm. And there are some scenes where you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then you read about it later and you've got the actors going, yeah, one day I just said to the director, could I try something? You're like, okay. There's never, there are not any other jobs where you can go, could I, could I, this isn't too much of a massive spoiler, but could, could I, at the end of that funeral scene, could I like fuck the gravesite? Would that be, yeah. would that be okay? But yeah, that's what happens in that film. It, it is a fucked up trip and definitely worth a trip to the cinema. Wicked. Bryony. Let's talk about Thanksgiving. I'm going to put that as a high. Yeah, it was uh, it was fun. Fun, but annoying. I don't think it's Eli Roth's greatest film. Um, everyone's nope. like, I mean, it's it's. I suppose it's a return to form, but even that, it's just, um, well, it's it was enjoyable. It's a after the House of the Clockiness. Yeah, 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 yeah. But... I don't know. It was, it, was, uh, it was fine. Fine enough to be my high. There were some good Cullens, some good schlock and gore, but it could have gone further, especially considering that the Grindhouse 
uh, trailer that it came from and the parts that did come directly from the trailer kind of felt tacked on. I suppose the original Thanksgiving trailer, the fake trailer, was specifically 1981, I think, 1982, holiday slash film. And then what he's made is, uh, I, can't, I don't know if it's pastiche or a homage or just just fallen back on it being like a Scream type film. Yeah, but the recent Scream films have done it better. But the problem is that with going for the 90s post-Scream slasher thing, he has mm. gone for the worst era of slasher films. So, hey man, hey man, you know how I feel about the post-scream slasher. Well, yeah, 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 it is is the worst era of slasher films. So yeah, the gore is brilliant. The mystery plot is bullshit Boring. and uninteresting. The glossy teens couldn't give a shit about. Does it recreate the one really fun bit in the trailer, which isn't anything to do with the ridiculous gore? But there's the bit where somebody gets decapitated and a police officer leans over, sticks his finger out, and goes. It's blood. <laughs> and the other copper goes, son of a bitch. I mean, someone does get decapitated, but it hasn't got the amount of fun. It's not as funny. No, okay. it's, it could have been yeah. funny. It could have been pushed more. Anything else, Brownie? I watched Knock at the Cabin, which is Malo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I mentioned the book was Mahai a few months ago. And I'm that asshole who's like, oh, the book's better because the book is better. But, uh, I mean, it was M. Knight doing his best, but he, he, t- he took away basically everything good from the book. There was no ambiguity. Was it a real book or a picture book? No, it's a real book. <laughs> I can read words. Oh, a... I just think because uh, Old was based on a picture book, wasn't it? Oh, okay, fair enough. You weren't just insulting me. Are you saying me. M. Knight Shyamalan can't read? Can't read. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised Maybe if he can't Maybe he can't read. because he missed a lot of the, the plot and the point of this book. Well, I suppose it's better that if it was a picture book that he hasn't ruined the tiger that came to tea. Because yeah. <laughs> that's a banger. Big twist. Yeah, the twist is come he tea. doesn't come for tea. That's the twist. <laughs> yeah. The twist is he has coffee instead. Aha. Does the book have any surprises in it at all? Because the film, it just sets something in motion and then just yeah. trundled to the conclusion Trundles without it. it's really anything boring, interesting yeah. happening. The book delves more into like the flashbacks, their lives, um, the whole end of the world thing is a lot more ambiguous and it's more of a sort of exploration of grief and parenthood and the Shyamalan film is, yeah, it's the end of the world. Here's Dave Batista. Oh, look, it's Ron Weasley. Okay, bye. And that's the film. <laughs> <laughs> if it was actually that, I would watch it because that sounds great. Yeah. If the twist of Knock at the Cabin was that a priest turns up at the end and pulls a load of rosary beads out, out of his ass, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It would have just pushed it over. <laughs> yeah, I see dead people's arseholes. <laughs> All the time. Uh, yeah. Would a ghost do that deliberately to a child? Anyway. I would, uh, not to a child, no. If I was a ghost, I'd have my bum out all the time. Yeah, not to kids, though. <laughs> no, not to kids. No. But you'd have to have like a modesty garment that you'd put on if there were children around. Yeah. Yeah, Ghostly pyjamas, yes, maybe, yeah. or <laughs> have a nice petticoat yeah, in a sort of Victorian style. Yeah, have a little ghost flap for your bum. Yeah, a little ghost <laughs> flap, yeah. Ghost flaps. I thought you were talking about covering up your ghost flaps. With <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a flap that goes over your flaps. Okay, flap flaps. Flap flaps. Flap yeah. flaps, that's right, yeah. Simon? Yes, uh, I have only watched one thing that could be called horror, and it's really good, which was uh, Talk To Me, mm. which I um, oh. I thought was just really great. Like, it really, really delivered so on the, the sort of... It had a great premise. I think it really realised well. It was down with the kids without feeling like it was really trying to be down with the kids. Not lying down with the kids, being a thirty-nine-year-old man. <laughs> but um, you know, it was it was it was like fun and actually scary. Like it was, mm. it was really really good. I was I was impressed by it, and you know, got it over and done with. Ninety-five minutes, no wasted bits. 
great. Really, really good. Really good. Yeah, I agree. Good fun. Uh, there's some proper moments which actually made me go, ah, like hands to face, which yeah. hasn't happened for a long time. Home Alone moments. Yeah, I had a Home Alone. <laughs> Adam McCauley Hogan. Anything else? No, that's the only vaguely horror one I watched. I watched some uh, arty foreign films in the cinema. Oh, yeah, go on. I watched uh, Anatomy of a Fall, which I guess is a kind of horror. <sighs> Oh, uh, I want to watch that. Yeah, it was good. Oh, I want to see that. Everything's horror if you think about it, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, if you're her, that's a horror situation. It's about a woman whose husband either falls out a window, kills himself, or she chucks him out a window. Uh, and the most horrifying thing is the uh, samba cover of 50 Cent's PIMP that is played very <laughs> yeah. loudly throughout large parts wow. of the film. <laughs> Uh, it's been stuck in my head ever since, which is kind of personal hell. So yeah, in retrospect, <laughs> maybe it was pretty terrifying. So PIMP is a great banger, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, how does great the Samba banger. version go? Uh, it's Well, imagine it's uh, 50 Cent, but it's uh, steel drums instead of him talking. 50 Cent is not a drum. The 50 Cent one has a man, and the Samba one has, has, has a drum. steel drums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you tell the difference between a man and some steel drums? That's like the worst game show ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, steel drums can't actually be PIMPs, no matter how hard they try. <laughs> they give it a bloody good go, but no. You know, I don't know what you've heard about me. I'm a motherfucking PIMP. If you're a steel drum, you're not. You're a steel drum. <laughs> if you're a man, you can be a motherfucking it's plausible, PIMP. Yeah. yeah, it's plausible. But if you're a man, technically you can't be a steel you can't drum. Be a steel so. drum, no. But the song doesn't go, I'm a motherfucking S-T-E-E-L-D-R-U-M. First draft. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, my highs are, because I've got two, because I haven't seen anything really bad, apart from some of the films we've had to watch for the, uh, <laughs> the music band's rock episode. Um, so uh, there's this 1988 film called Door from Japan, which is a home invasion film, except the kind of clever thing about it is it's called Door because it's a door that's stopping the bloke from doing the home invasion. So it is largely a housewife in her house Next to a door. being worried that she's about to be home invaded with only the door getting in the way. Do you see? It's clever. It's clever. Um, it's quite slow, though, and the director doesn't really know <laughs> No, is it slow? I would never yeah. have got that from that well, synopsis. To be fair, doors don't really do a lot, no, do they? So. No, Well, they're not motherfucking PIMPs. That's yeah, yeah. A motherfucking yeah. D-O-O-R. D-O-O-R. <laughs> <laughs> would, we, would we know this door from any other films? <laughs> was, it been in, was it in Star Trek? It might have been in Door 2, actually. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> On the basis that there's a child snooker table as a prop in Door that does also turn up in someone else's house in Door 2, even though the two films are completely unrelated. Are so, you giving I us a clue be... as to what the other thing you saw was as well? Was it Door 2 by any chance? Oh, that's that's not a high, and it's not, it's not a horror film either. Oh, okay. um, so that, I'm not going to talk about Door 2. But Door, well, you know, it's quite slow. The director doesn't really know how to build tension, but... Creaking door helps. That's <laughs> true, yeah. When it all kicks off, when he finally gets through the door... Um, <laughs> when it all <laughs> kicks down. <laughs> oh, spoilers, come on now. <laughs> it's a chainsaw-wielding delight. Yeah. <laughs> it's very gory once it gets... It. That film sounds yeah. unhinged to me. Hey. Hey. Very good. Can you handle it, though? Hey! <laughs> Don't knock it. Yeah. Hey. It really sounds like my jam. I, I watched it with my knob out. <laughs> 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 Anyway. <laughs> and my bell. Yes. <laughs> and my flap. Uh, my high um, is not a film I watch with my novel or my bell out. It's Emmanuel and Francoise. 
honestly. Surely the only point of that film is to watch that with your knob out. (laughs) No, uh, it's... (laughs) You going all coy. (laughs) (laughs) Was this one of the ones where Deb comes back from like a walk or something and you've got Emmanuel with her tits out on your massive belly? (laughs) I timed this well. She was at a sewing class of the entire duration. Um... (laughs) (laughs) That's a sewing class. Better get Emmanuel on. Oh, it's Emmanuel time for me. My husband's always watching Emmanuel when I'm at his sewing class. Bloody so what, what, what Emmanuel and Francoise is, is it's Joe D'Amato's first attempt at ripping off the French Emmanuel, but before he'd met Laura Gemser. So it's not a black Emmanuel film. It's his actual attempt to rip off Emmanuel. Emmanuel's got a sister who killed herself because she was in a toxic relationship with a PIMP, <laughs> funnily enough. And she seduces him, traps him, teases him, tortures him. It's great. It's really, really good fun. Okay. It's nothing like the French film, which I've always been amazed is directed by a bloke whose name appears to be Just Jackin. But... <laughs> is it? Yeah. I think it's Just Jackin or something, but it's spelled Just Jackin. <laughs> Everything sounds classier. Manuel, what are you doing? Just chucking. <laughs> anyway, they were at highs and lows. Now, as a wise man once said, let's get, let's get, let's get, let's get rocked. Our first feature is Brian De Palma's 1974 musical version of Phantom of the Opera, Phantom of the Paradise. 20th Century Fox presents Phantom of the Paradise, a gothic horror story. <laughs> What was that? A beautiful love story. A cinematic odyssey through the rock universe. From Greece to glitter and beyond. The story of a sound, the man who created it, the girl who sang it, the monster who stole it, and the phantom who haunts the paradise, the ultimate rock palace. A musician plots revenge from the flies when the owner of a new venue steals his songs for his own acts to perform. Emily, you um, picked this Amazingly terrifying horror film for us today. <laughs> well, it's got horrory bits in it. Basically, it's just an excuse to watch a load of silly camp nonsense mm. with occasional people's faces coming off. But, you know, sometimes that's just what you need. This film is an absolute mess, but it's a brightly coloured, interesting and fucking weird mess. So I find it incredibly compelling and I can't really explain mm. why. I love the batship costumes. I love the um, the staging where there's the whole scene, which is kind of part Frankenstein and like bits of Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. I love the character of um, Beef. I, I love his um, his completely batshit fashion sense. The fact that he thinks that a Father Christmas coat is just what you casually wear when you're leaving a job and it, that he paints on his face. I also like uh, Paul Williams being a weird, creepy little dude who wears a lot of interesting and strange looks as the... Um, evil music empresario and it's a basically if there's any drag kings listening please please go and be swan because that would just be absolutely perfect (laughs) that would work get to wear loads of velvety stuff and you get to have a melty face Mm -hmm. at the end of the movie so i can really see that because at at points it does have quite a feminine body i don't know how that is but and also his voice is so um i don't know how much it was adr etc but just the way he says certain words is just really really weird Mm. it's deliberately like someone who's trying to make their voice lower like they're trying to get into an 18 
Dream film in the <laughs> early 90s or something. And there is, I discovered earlier today, a Twitter account, which is just the clip of him saying, Thursday, today is Thursday. This film is mad. You can see the beginnings of the stuff that Brian De Palma does brilliantly. There's the use of colour. There's the split screeny bits. Yeah, I just, just think it's a glittery bit of weird nonsense. And also watching it this time, because I hadn't seen it for a few years, it kind of... It's very much of a piece of something like uh, The Abominable Dr. Fibes. It's got that sort of slightly Edwardian, weird, like early movie quality to it. I can see that. It's a strange piece. Yeah, I loved it, actually. I really did. It was like a mad patchwork quilt because it was all over the place. It was it was really funny to see Paul Williams, who mm. um, I only really know him from a couple of appearances on Gilbert Gottfried's podcast. He's such an unimposing little character. It's like having Elton John as the baddie in a horror film or something. It's like, <laughs> um, it, it was just really enjoyable. And the, the, the main guy, the, the songwriter as well, there's no way that he'd be cast in a role like that in today's movies, you know, if they were doing it. He's far too unphotogenic. Yeah. And um, well, he was Bentley, really cool. He's, he's in loads of De Palma's films. Yeah. Because of his weird look and his, he's, he's a really good actor. Yeah. He's a fascinating looking guy. And it was cool to see that was the debut of um, Jessica Harper. Because she gets yeah. quite lucky because she's, she's kind of got a little romance thing going with him. And then uh, with Paul Williams. And I know her mainly from being Gary Shandling's wife in his sitcom. So she's really got to work with some real beefcake in her time. In It's Gary Shandling's show, that is. Not oh, the right. not Larry Sanders. Yeah, that was the main thing I knew her from. And I quite enjoyed the, the odd music business satire as well with like the fake Beach Boys and... Was that last mm. incarnation of them meant to be Kiss? When they're the undeads. Yeah, they were like the black and white. Yeah, I kind of assumed that it was because it was like the sort of horror rock and kind of a bit of Alice Cooper influence as well. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. And I loved like the, the use of weird camera angles, like where he's running through the corridors in the record company and it just looks like he's running into a tiny little spiral. And yeah, it was, it was just really atmospheric, but in a not very terrifying way, but super <laughs> odd and very entertaining like throughout so yeah that gets a thumbs up from me <laughs> that's a new format point we should add yeah does it get a thumbs up or a thumbs up oh, i can't believe 83 episodes in we've never thought of doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're missing a trick guys i'm here to shake things up episode 83 when the thumbs are right <laughs> <laughs> it's all because of what you're talking about russell crowe and his anal, anal beads, beads. Yeah. <laughs> i'll get them up there somewhere well, a thumb might be useful there pull out the amount of anal beads we give it out of, <laughs> out of, <laughs> sorry, out of 20 sorry yeah. Simon, i forgot how, how many anal beads you have thank you thank you i've got to get my thrills the problem is that I, once they're up. I don't like to pull them out again, so I'll be really stingy with my scores. <laughs> I love Brian De Palma. He's one of my favourite, certainly my favourite American director. I don't think comedy is his forte. No. This gets away with not quite being a comedy, and it sort of makes more sense now I've seen his very early films. It's the first time I've actually enjoyed watching it, but my main gripe is Paul Williams and his awful middle-of-the-road songs. You know, people go on about like people like Carol King, and do they? they do, yeah. What people? Yeah, music people do go on about Carol King, yes, and Paul Williams, and I, I just don't get it. He's he's, he's so dull. This isn't well, Paul Williams' best work, but I do like the song that plays over the end credits, "The Hell of It." I think that's that's the, the end credits. That's very right, very yeah. close to being a kind of Warren Zevon song. It's got that real bitterness to it. I'll tell you how Paul Williams struck me in this. Kind of like a low-rent Harry Nilsson. Hmm. That's who he mostly reminded me of. It's got a bit of that country thing that a lot of rock did have in the 70s. Which yeah. Is, yeah, I can I can see that. I really don't like 70s rock, and that doesn't help with this film. Did anyone understand the ending? Like, what was he trying to pull off? 
Why did he have to imbrogle poor old Jessica Harper, Phoenix, into this thing where he was tricking himself with his age? And oh, it was really confusing. Because that happens in Faust. It was just collecting souls for the yeah, devil, I mean, basically. The whole thing oh, okay. is Faust, Phantom of the Opera, and Dorian Gray with a little yeah. chimp-like man yeah. and a swan-like man and her from Suspiria <laughs> and some bright colours and a man going, Hi, I'm Beef. I didn't quite see how he was going to pull it off, though. Yeah, it wasn't the best choice to open a new venue, a rock opera based on Faust that has gone through five different <laughs> incarnations in the space of two weeks. It was the 70s, so... That's it, large amounts of drugs. Was he also supposed to be Phil Spector? Is that not who he was supposed to be? I think there's elements of Phil Spector, yeah. yeah. And the fact that he kind of controls everything. Yeah, and his hair was mad. His hair was mad, but Phil Spector's hair was possibly even madder. Yeah. Was it that mad at the time, though? Or was it like when he became a murderer that it became... <laughs> well, I've got mad hair. I've never killed anyone as far as I know. You've got mad so hair? This is it after it's been washed. Give it a couple of days and it starts to go feral. <laughs> Small animals disappear. I think Phil Spector always had mad hair, didn't he? Oh, I'm just looking at photos of him from the 60s and 70s. I don't know how his hair developed in the way that it did by the 90s or whatever, but you, w- you wouldn't have seen it coming. I think that was a wig. What? His afro thing was a wig. By the time he got the big afro thing, yeah. Yeah, if you look at his mug shots, he looks like Richard O'Brien. This is a really good discussion about a film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is relevant, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah we're not talking about <laughs> yeah. at all, well no we're trying a new genre since we lost out on the awards we're going to do true crime we would just look at photos of the person speculate <laughs> and just go oh he looks <laughs> like a rocket <Yeah. laughs> he looks a bit stabby yeah, yeah they did it look at his hair yeah. yeah it's got a good insult in it it's just as well you can't insult people based on their physical appearance anymore otherwise everyone would be going around saying dry up tubbo <laughs> <laughs> there was a line quite early on where he's explaining the Faust legend um, and that guy says to him, uh, like the henchman guy, he goes, what is this, kid? School time? I got a plane to catch. And that really struck me as funny. Like school time is what you'd say to anyone who's saying anything remotely clever yeah. as a right. put down. So, yeah. mm. It's weird to watch a film where someone directs the shit out of it when it is so slight. There's almost sort of nothing to it, but it's like still Brian De Palma goes full Brian De Palma on it. I kind of admire that, though, yeah. that amount yeah. of commitment to, yeah, this, this is silly, but fuck it. I mean, I really love De Palma's direction in general. And as a young, yeah, as a young cineast... <laughs> <laughs> What is it, school time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got so into his, the idea that he plays around with all these clever techniques and that, that when I watched some of his other films and they weren't doing the same things that I loved in, you know, Body Double specifically, I'd find them disappointing. And Phantom of the Paradise was one of them. And then watching it uh, this week, the split screen bit in it just brought all that back. It's like, oh, I love it when he does split screen. <laughs> Why don't more people do split screen? It's such a fucking great technique. If you have more than one camera, it officially becomes two films and you can't win any awards. So they yeah. Don't do it. Oh, That's the law. There we go. The polar opposite of Phantom of the Paradise is High Camp. Uh, 2015's Green Room goes for realism as a punk band witnessed the aftermath of a murder backstage at a bar for far-right assholes, putting them in a dangerous position. It's cracking. I love Green Room. It's very good. Um, film. It, it's kind of a bit of an outsider with all these other movies because there's so mm. much that's kind of camp and silly, but it's very good on the whole kind of banality of evil yeah. thing. So when you've got like Patrick Stewart coming in as the leader and he's just talking about, assume that the workshop's running as usual on Monday and all this kind of thing. And it's, um, it, it's, it's disturbing because it's, you know, it just 
just really kind of banal and everyday. There's a lot of dialogue in it that is Mumbly. kind of obscure. Well, mumble, yeah, a lot of it's mumbled. Yeah, that was good to say. That's my problem with, and it's been the same with the other movies of this director. I need subtitles. I'm too old to watch his films without them. They're a bit mumbly. Stupidly, I downloaded the subtitle file and was just following along with it on my phone, rather than switching the subtitles on, which I don't know why I didn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I kind of forgot it was a thing. Um, but it's so kind of deep into that world, that neo-Nazi world, that it does seem a little bit suspicious <laughs> and I <laughs> I know that there's that kind of I'm your sister syndrome where people just deliver exposition that no one would ever say in real life this I think goes too far in the other direction <laughs> it's too much like we're supposed to understand what's going on when they're talking about all this drivel mumbling it and there's not enough exposition in this film. It's hard to follow when you don't know who they're talking about. You don't know what they're talking about. And you haven't even seen the things. Like the murder happens off screen. The bit where the guy gets his arm all cut up happens off screen. And then all of a sudden he's got a cut up arm. It's like, well, how Well, no, it doesn't happen? happen off screen. It just happens behind a door while his yeah. arm is behind a door. I would call that off screen. Hey, do you want to line up the music? Yes, because um, I was going to say, you do, no doubt... So this is Brian's acting fact that Patrick Stewart was no, in Star Trek. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not it at all, actually. I'll tell you what my acting fact is. So Anton film. Yelchin was in Star Trek. I mean, that was my backup, but I'll tell you what my acting fact is for this film. I went to primary school with one of the band boys in this film. One of the Backstreet Boys? One of the bands. One of the boys in the band in this film. I went to primary school with him. Went where yeah, his house. Uh, the one with the ears, Joe Cole. The one with the ears? Yeah, he's got ears. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah I, I was, uh, he was one of my pals at primary school. We've taken very different paths in life. He is in Hollywood films of two Star Trek actors. I'm in a horror podcast. Talking about Star Trek whenever you get the chance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is, this, oh, yeah. is, this, is this where it all comes from? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a little bitterness. Um, but no, I thought I'd do a little pullback <laughs> reveal and be like, oh, I've got an acting fact, but actually it's when I went to school with Joe Cole. Every time you've mentioned Star Trek on this podcast, it's like secretly you've been going, oh, Joe Cole. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Your love of Star Trek is born out of pain. My, my godmother's uh, still in touch with him and his, uh, his family. And like, whenever I go for dinner, with my godmother she's like and he's done this and he's done this and he's done that and I was like well I was nominated for an independent podcast award but no one talks about that no you're right absolutely no one does no. has Joe Colby nominated for an independent podcast award I don't think so not to my knowledge listeners if you've talked about us getting an independent podcast award <laughs> nomination for any reason please tell my godmother <laughs> <laughs> please yes. if it's any comfort to you Bryony he's not even the most famous Joe Cole around because yes. former Chelsea footballer, Joe Cole. Oh, I've only just recently started watching the football. So, yeah, he's gone now from football. He's, he's a commentator still. He's okay. on telly a lot. 
Yeah, he's a much bigger and more important Joe Cole. You realise, like, the last minute and a half plus of this podcast has been Star Trek and football, which are two of my <laughs> least favourite things in the world. <laughs> that sounds like my podcast that I should make. Let's go back on track then, go on. <laughs> Let's move now into the 80s, the decade of hair metal and satanic panic. An apparently irresistible recipe for anyone wanting to make a mediocre to bad comedy horror movie. First out of the gates in 1984 was Rocked Over Blood, a slasher about a fictional band called Headmistress. Uh, so in this, Headmistress were a band that were recording an album and their lead singer, Billy Eye, uh, listened to their record backwards, went mental, killed everyone. He got electrocuted uh, after he got convicted for murder. And then a year later, Lynn, who we hear from a uh, reporter, is the one who fingered Billy Eye, not in that way, I think, um, has reformed the band with herself as the lead singer. The killer apparently comes back even though he's dead. I mean, we're talking about mumbly, mumbly fucking films. I only made it 10 minutes into this because I literally couldn't hear what's going on. I don't think I was mumbling. I think it was just that it's such an old shit, yeah, uh, badly, well. bad copy that... Yeah, funnily enough, this one's not had a Criterion restoration. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the Arrow 4K on this absolute yeah. sack of crap? Like, what is <laughs> I thought this was all right, actually. I thought that this film must have just been made as some sort of tax dodge or something, because it's like, it's a fun premise, and when it first started and you've got like grungy American rock and then some guy with a British accent going, that's it, take it from the top. I was it's like, great. whoa, this is going to be like Spinal Tap. Brilliant. No, it wasn't. And I was like, shit, I should have just watched Spinal Tap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's like Ian from Spinal Tap and um, Danny Dyer, uh, <laughs> Love Fist's manager in the Grand Theft Auto games. Yeah, um, I, I enjoyed that. It made it a bit wonky and weird. Uh, I thought the music was actually quite authentic as these things go. The British guy in it is actually the singer on those tracks. Yes, that's true, yeah. It's just a basic 1984 slasher, but just in different kind of settings. So it was all right. I think it just oh. wanted it to be madder than it was. And it's very badly paced. And I got sick of the guy going, hi, rainbow eyes. <laughs> um, I realise I haven't watched this one. I was getting confused with it all the other films on the same because all of them are exactly the same yeah yeah this is the one where the last 20 minutes is a gig it's very much a pad out the runtime. yeah there's an amazing decapitation where it's clearly a woman standing with a head wrapped in bin bags and a fake body just falls away from it <laughs> oh I quite like that it gave me flashbacks to watching Paul Daniels magic show <laughs> Daniel's never cut a woman's head off. <laughs> as far as we know. Not as part of his act, but... Yeah, you can say it now. Oh, yeah, Daniel's the murderer. Yeah. Mass murdering paedophile Paul Daniels. That's the one, yeah. What first attracted you to the mass murdering paedophile Paul Daniels? <laughs> I have heard that Paul Daniels was a massive homophobe from a friend of mine who is a magician who is also gay, and he got his revenge on Paul Daniels by putting laxatives in his drink during a magician's function. <laughs> <laughs> and he said the best part of that was he could see exactly the split second where it kicked in because Paul made a face, grabbed Debbie's arm and then ran out of the room. And performed a magician's function. Yeah. Hey. That's right, yeah. Now you don't see it. Yeah. Now you do. Yeah. <laughs> and then he pulls a rabbit out of the shat. <laughs> Seriously, if a magician did a really rubbish trick and shat himself, <laughs> that would be brilliant. Oh, you, you know that that's happened somewhere. You get those sort of horror circuses. That's probably yeah, just yeah. going to be like, right, we've got the guy who puts pins in himself. We've got the woman who gets clamps put through her nipples 
We've got someone who puts cigarettes out on their tongues. And then we've got the magician that shits himself. Actually, do you know what? That could be a feel-good movie about a magician who's not getting anywhere because he gets really, really anxious and shits himself. And then at the end, happily, he joins one of these kind of goth surfaces and um, he's doing what he wants and they accept him for what he is. As we're talking about bands this episode, it reminds me of, uh, I read an interview with Fear Factory. The singer of Fear Factory said his worst moment on stage was when he did one of his... uh, trademark <laughs> bits and <laughs> came out both ends that's got to be a danger for a lot of wow bands, that's it? going to be at the start of his set i reckon as well <laughs> oh, no. like come on stage <laughs> if if part of your job is doing that the first thing you learn is don't shit yourself yeah. when you do that especially not when you're wearing 90s new metal shorts well exactly yeah i mean that, that's kind of like a rookie mistake isn't it it's mm. like you start learning to play the guitar your fingers hurt you start doing your metal. <laughs> You've also got to contend with controlling your bowels. Thimbles on your fingertips and a cork up your bunghole. Well, just put your anal beads in before you go on stage. Yeah. Yeah. Then it would sound like a xylophone sound yeah. I heard. <laughs> <laughs> but then that would give their music a new direction. <laughs> also blurring the line between slasher and supernatural horror is Slumber Party Massacre 2. Yes. In which the band... Isn't named, which I always think is a bit disappointing in these films. It's bad when they don't name the bands, isn't it? How difficult is it to come up with a band name? We did it for about the first 30 episodes of this podcast, came out with different band names every time. That joke got old. We stopped doing it. (laughs) And we kept Bridie's acting fact. (laughs) (laughs) I really like Slumber Party Massacre 2. I nearly picked this as the feature instead of Phantom of the Paradise. It's good Mm -hmm. fun. It does some silly movie extremely well. Yeah. I love the fact that the rockabilly killer, not explained, is it the killer from the first movie? Is it the woman's repressed sexuality? Is it just some random weird shit? But I love the fact that his songs could easily be covered by the cramps. It's got that kind of psychobilly edge to it. And it's it's just silly fun. Yeah, to me, the killer, he was like a cross between Freddy Krueger and Andrew Dice Clay. Like, he was such a weird combo of things. And the, the fact that it made no sense at all was what really creeped me out. And I was amazed how creeped out I was by such a bizarre, jaunty, odd last third of the film, which up to that point had been complete pants. And then it just suddenly became like really atmospheric and creepy and weird in a very unexpected and unsustainable way, which uh, yeah, I loved it. And the guys in it were so utterly obnoxious. Like, why the hell would you want them in your house for a whole weekend? Like that main guy that's like pushing people in the pool and yeah, uh, yeah. doing all that really Oh, TJ, I loved stuff. TJ. <laughs> I enjoyed the 80s trope that the high school boys were all about 40. Yeah. That's something that always makes me smile because <laughs> it was like... He was coming up to her and it's like, who's letting, why is she talking to this old man? Why are friends letting her talk to this old Why is this old man perving on, oh, okay, he goes to school with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there were no teenage boys in the 80s. They had to get no. people's <laughs> It was a different time, different yeah. time. Where girls were girls and yeah. men. And men were dads. <laughs> what I like about 1987 horror films is the Elm Street ripping off. Just the fact that they have to throw in loads of random nightmare dream sequences with loads of special effects it's completely stupid. It's what made me fall in love with the genre in the first place when I was, you know, 11 years old. I'd less thrilled about the fact that all the surnames have to be Craven, yeah. Kruger, Voorhees, yeah. Bates, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's that a little so bit on the nose. So annoying. And make it more subtle, Slumber Party Massacre 2, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit more nuanced. Took me right out yeah. of it. 
disbelief shattered. Everything else we're going to cover is full-on supernatural nonsense. Uh, perhaps none more nonsensical than hard rock zombies. Fucking hell. Oh, yeah, fucking hell indeed. For a start, at the start, when the woman drowns the man, why does that make the water turn red? Nose, please. <laughs> no, it could be, I suppose. But I like when she then cuts off his hand on the shore and uh, sings I Want to Hold Your Hand because it, it must be quite tough to get licensing for a Beatles song in a film like this. Yeah, that's where the budget went. Yeah, but didn't we watch one of those, the ones about the big cats where there's the family singing All You Need Is Love and then a lion comes down the chimney? <laughs> yeah, that's true, yeah. They did. Did they actually get permission for that? I don't know. The lion was sent by Paul McCartney to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> the lion was Paul. Um, the uh, we're going to get sued for that. <laughs> Would we? I think you'd have to recognise what the song was. Oh, fucking glass <laughs> onion, mate. I got it. Yeah, thank you. And for second, people would have to listen to this podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which they do. Which they, they do, do in their hundreds. There's dozens yeah. of them. Yeah. They're hundreds. Tens. Hundreds. <laughs> I've checked the numbers. Tens of hundreds. Uh, Do you know how much of a boost we got from the uh, awards? How much boost? No boost. How much? No boost. Uh, well, you know. One of the notes I wrote for this, maybe the only note I wrote for this, is it really fell apart once the zombies ate Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know, it felt like it was building something, then it completely fell apart once the zombies ate Hitler. That happens so often in films, though, doesn't it? It's yeah. Stumbling exactly. block. I don't think they had a script. No, no, really? Certainly not a whole script all at the same time. Wait a second, did he ad-lib those Hitler speeches? Because <laughs> they were a flood. <laughs> I appreciated the amount of energy and enthusiasm that went into it. It's clearly very much, I made a film and I've got everyone that I know involved. We yeah. don't know what we're doing, but that's okay. So mm. Deeply, deeply strange. The singer in the band that is not named is played by a guy called EJ Curse, who went viral in February for kicking off a branch of I Heart Mac and Cheese in Palm Springs. <laughs> he is 63 years old. And he <laughs> sounds like... <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. <laughs> and he said, this misguided moment does not reflect my true character and does not align with my values. Oh, shit. My passion in life has always been to bring joy and love through music. <laughs> what did he kick off about? Just, don't you know who I am? Yeah. I am the EJ Curse. Is that slightly pedo-y lead singer in Hard Rock Zombie? More than more than slightly, that was. Oh, I imagine, like a lot of people around sixty years old who kick off randomly in places they shouldn't, cocaine. <laughs> like, for example, on Monday I saw the prodigy at the Brighton Centre, and at the bar there was an absolute fucking lunkhead crying his eyes out, and there was this lunkhead kid who was probably about twenty-five, sort of like comforting him, but sort of by grabbing his shoulder. I think that might have been father and son night out. <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't know what happened, but all I heard was the kid shouting at some bloke who walked past going, he's my fucking stepdad, you cunt. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all here to see the prodigy. Lovely, jolly. Uh, <sighs> age does terrible things. Cocaine, man. It's the cocaine they all take, those cunts. I will say, I sort of fixated on the Hitler a little bit because <laughs> at some points he seemed to be kind of a, okay, you can be whatever you want, son. Like kind of a all-American dad-style Hitler but still speaking a German accent. But then, unusual for a comedy Hitler, his speeches were like really psychotically racist. And I was like, wow, they've really mm. gone full-on Hitler. And the guy who played him was, was quite good at it. Like it was, I was just I was like, what? This is such a choice. And then Eva Brown as a werewolf. This is just a series of mad choices. It took me a while to realise that the Eva Brown character was meant to be a werewolf because when I first saw it, it just looked like she had a flannel on her face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
It's really strange. I didn't get a chance to see this film because I was busy underwhelming an international comedy audience. But it sounds like the best film ever made. Like I'm absolutely uh, well, going to go ahead and watch it now. Maybe the idea of this film in your head will be much, much better than this film ever could be. What I would never want to do on this podcast is give people the impression that really terrible films that they should not waste their lives on are in any way good. <laughs> Please everyone do see Suburban Sasquatch. <laughs> yeah. Fully leaning into the satanic panic thing, Black Roses is about the titular demonic rock band whose music unleashes chaos on a small town. I loved this. It was uh well, it had things I love, you know, a fifty year old high schooler, strange mustachioed teacher who's like the cool teacher, but he's not that cool. The <laughs> band was acceptable. I was really liking it. I was like, geez, you know what? The puppets are actually well good until it got to the crescendo when it's just someone wearing a rubber suit. Oh, it's just like a wetsuit. A wetsuit they've painted beige. That was and I was like bad, yeah. And I was like, that's really bad, but I've really enjoyed this film, so I'm not gonna complain too much. Up until that point though, there's some quality wet puppets actually. Yeah. The, um, the one with the um the record player is particularly I don't even know what the fuck it's supposed to be. It's like several animals in one. I got extra happy because that was Big Pussy from Sopranos. Big Pussy. Yeah, I've been eaten here. I'm being eaten by a record monster here with your rock and roll. This long play is really having me for lunch. (laughs) They make a lot of fuss about a seated concert in a school hall, don't they? Yeah, they do. Bless them. And like the little logo for Black Roses is this like really funny little skull. And they're like, it's evil. I quite like the logo. I thought it was quite cool. You got a tattoo of it now. (laughs) No, but, you know, maybe I will. I've got a couple of thoughts about this. One is that the credits promise a special appearance by an actual rock star uh, who's called Carmen Apice. He's a famous rock drummer. So I looked up what exactly he's famous for. And Wikipedia says he's best known for his associations with Vanilla Fudge, (laughs) Cactus, Beck Bogut and Apice, King Cobra and Blue Murder. And I've heard of none of those bands. Those are all horses. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Why is the hero, the teacher, why at the end is he dressed like Marty McFly, but a Canadian Marty McFly with a moustache? Moustache McFly. (laughs) And I wondered if it was anything to do with those, you remember at the start where black roses turn up in the gullwing cars, like Mm. the DeLorean? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this a massive Back to the Future homage, this film? Goldwing cars, bloke wearing a red gilet. Is that why that girl apparently fucks or at least gives a handjob to her friend's dad? Dad, yes, and almost her stepdad as well. Yes, that's the other thing, yeah. Oh, well, maybe it was just there was a lot of incest about the yeah. A lot of incest about, yeah. I just want to nominate... A lot of incest about as the second catchphrase of the show. Like, <laughs> uh, sounds like a good catchphrase. Surely it's a great forgotten sitcom. A lot of incest, incest about. about. Yeah. You watch out. Watch out. Incest about. Watch out. Incest about. Yeah, you watch out. Because incest about. He's fallen in the daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Brianie, that is one of the best jokes you've ever made. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was quality. All right. Uh, the effects-heavy slaughterhouse rock has a gimmick in that some of it was filmed on the notorious Alcatraz prison island. <laughs> but does that make it any good? No. No. No, it's bollocks, but I enjoyed Tony Basil's hats. Okay, I like this film until they get to Alcatraz. 
when it's just an Elm Street ripoff and there's loads of nightmare mm. splattery gore sequences. And as soon as they get to Alcatraz, they don't know what to do with it and it's boring. So boring. And Tony Basil turns up as if she's like that cunt off nightmare, just guiding them around the prison. <laughs> and her band name is Body Bag. Oh, there's a really good Brighton band called Body Bag. Is there? Yeah, they've got a little dance. It's really fun to watch the kids do the dance. Is that just, you just stay really still? No, no. So the singer goes like this. And then all everyone in the crowd is going, yeah, it's like the hardcore scene. And they like to go, BN1, um, <laughs> even though BN1 is quite a nice area to live in. But they're like, yeah, represent BN1, we're hardcore. Yeah. Do they do that and then immediately go, it's quite nice, actually? Uh, no, that's mm-hmm. me standing at the back uh, or sitting down <laughs> because I'm too old to mosh. <laughs> Just watching these <laughs> live 20-year-olds. Yeah, Lewis Road is some really nice, uh, really nice places. Yeah. One of my favourite t oh, it's behind me, actually. It's just a T-shirt that says BN1 Hardcore. <laughs> Have I ever told you about, I saw um, after the Brighton Children's Parade, which is one of the most uh, hippiest (laughs) middle-class twatty things that happens in Brighton. I saw a dad and his kid walking up Elm Grove, the street they presumably lived on, with their musical instruments that they'd played in the children's parade and they'd worn uh, custom-made t-shirts that said Elm Groove. Anyway, sorry, I distracted you because I didn't watch this film. How do they make Alcatraz look like cheap sets? Mm. Yeah, it's only the exteriors that are actually Alcatraz. Mm. The interiors are cheap sets. When the building blows up at the end and it's like a shed, what is that meant to be that's blowing up? Is it meant to be the whole of Alcatraz prison? I I couldn't figure it out. And it's in front of some hills as well, which Alcatraz Mm. being an island famously isn't. I don't know how they thought they could get away with that, but... Very odd one. And scores by Devo, except... It doesn't really sound like Devo. No, the band in the film, Body Bag, don't actually do anything, do they? No, they stand there. No, they just turn up and go, hey, we're dead because of you. And she's like, ooh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So you've done a Satanism. Oh, sorry, you are dead. You are dead. I'm sorry that you're dead. You're dead. (laughs) Oh, lovely. Okay, if you're hoping to make it big in the MTV-friendly world of glam metal, I don't think Spastic Colon (laughs) is a very appropriate band name. (laughs) But that's what they're called in Shock and Dead, which Bryony was very excited to revisit. Yeah, (laughs) it's trauma levels of naff, there's pervy peeping on tits, and then he gets his wish, and it's all just quite lame. Like, he wakes up, Mm. and it's just quite sad. This house is really, it's just quite a naff house, and there's like some somewhat attractive ladies going, Hi! You're all right. I make your sandwich. I guess. I also. I'm cursed. I'm cursed, and I'm secretly ugly. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I reckon this might be the worst film I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh come on! Really? It's got the best song. Well, which one? The uh, the Virgin. The... I'm in love with a slut. <laughs> You do this song and it's all like, oh, I see my girl walking around all oh, you. I'm in love with a slut. And then he vomits on a woman. Oh, yeah, Brilliant. the vomit. <laughs> I remember the vomit. It just looks like a softcore porn film without the confidence <laughs> convictions. And it's low level, hideously racist, too. The kind of bag lady who's a. Witch yeah, doctor. the witch Dr. Bag Lady. And also, did you listen to the rap song that the record label people listen to? It's like, if you were to get the KKK to write a 90s rap song, that is what would come out. Yeah, but he vomits on a lady, guys. Oh, it's sorry, yeah, song. he vomits on a lady. Five anal beats out of five. Two thumbs up. I do like the bit where he gets revenge on his boss by going, I want a fucking yeah. pizza! But the thing is, he's taking it out on his fellow co-workers. It's exactly, like, he's taking come it out on his yeah. And also, just the bit at the beginning, I get that they, they're like, oh, we haven't had tits for at least five minutes, but he's 
spying on his co-worker. Yeah, a bit of peeping. And you're like, why is she changing her bra at work? In a kitchen slash food industry, you do need to have a special bra. You need a grease bra. (laughs) (laughs) I worked in the kitchen for like two years. I changed my bra at the end of the shift because it's uh, it's hot work. At the end of the shift, but she's doing it at the start. Emily, you've clearly never worked a day in your life. You don't know how many times you have to change your bra. You can't have an American horror trend without the Italians jumping on that bandwagon. And thanks to Luigi Cozzi, we have Paganini horror. You know how I love in Italian films how there's one scene where somebody shouts one phrase or one word over and over again. I kind of, if it exists, want to see an Italian dub of this because there's a scene of Donald Pleasance where he's on the top of the church (laughs) throwing money away going, little demons, little demons, little demons. In this film, they're making a music video and they're getting the horror director Mark Singer in because they want to get a video for their song that will rival Michael Jackson's thriller, right? Mm -hmm. And then they go to this house and it's just the band, Mark Singer, their manager and Mark Singer's camera and that's it and they just shoot the whole thing in one take and that's supposed to rival thriller, is it? They couldn't afford John Landis, so, you know. They wanted their whole crew to survive, so they decided against Landis. Well, that's true, yeah. <laughs> no helicopters. <laughs> yeah, rules out Edmonds and Landis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you just know one of these days when they both go completely old and mad, they will make a film together and it will just be... A <laughs> bloodbath. Helicopter <Yeah>. carnage. <laughs> That is a slur, Simon Plot. On what who? The death that Noel Edmonds was responsible for had nothing to do with a helicopter. Sorry. Yeah, you take that back, Simon. I take it back. Noel Edmonds is a lovely man who's not killed any children. <laughs> no, no, he's not been responsible for any helicopter-related deaths. No. Just, I think, a, a crane-related death? Yeah, it was a yeah, crane, yeah. Crane. What was the helicopter thing? Well, Mike Smith almost died in a helicopter crash. Wait, why is Noel Edmonds involved? They work together. It was on a TV Saturday. show that he used to do where people would do stunts uh, and they didn't have the best approach to health and safety and one guy died. Okay. I thought this film looked interesting. You know how I feel about Italian sex films. Um, not enough sex. No sex. No, no sex whatsoever. This film doesn't have the budget to do what Luigi Cozzi and Dario Nicolodi's script were really aiming for. I mean, for a start, they could have got some mime artists in to teach the actors how to do you've come up against an invisible wall. (laughs) (laughs) Because their effort is pathetic. And the mask killer I've written doesn't move in a threatening way and his huge hat makes him look like a damn fool. (laughs) Take that, killer. Sick burn. (laughs) (laughs) Meow. All right, moving into the current century, we watched a Canadian vampire film called Suck. Well... Does it? Yes, it does. It was shit. (laughs) This one has a bit of a TV vibe, which makes me wonder if maybe it was meant to be a sitcom. I think it's because it's Canadian. Hashtag not all Canadian films. Essentially, if your name isn't Cronenberg, then you have no business making a (laughs) horror film if you're Canadian. Pretty much. There's no Mounties in this. Vampire Mountie would have been quite fun. I found it mildly amusing that Iggy Pop turned up and called someone a wanker, just because I would find that funny (laughs) if any older American man called someone a wanker. And clearly the director or whoever wrote it did too because he says it twice Moby isn't it yeah he, he's the other beef that we've seen that's ironic isn't it mm. I mean it's very pleased with itself this film 
Mm. It's very, very pleased with itself. Someone in production knows all these people. So they got Moby, they got Alice Cooper, they got Iggy Pop, they got Henry Rollins. They got all these like cool pop stars. And Iggy Pop is a good actor. He's in an episode of Star Trek. Fuck's sake. <laughs> Henry Rollins is a good actor yeah. as well, or he can be. Moby's a good actor. He stars in The Shield, the popular. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Different book. Oh, the conclusion I came to is just someone had dad's money. That's the only way I, think, I can think. Yeah, I, I thought that as well. And it's just really frustrating. So they're like, oh, look, the vampire's a woman, but the female character's main attribute is she's hot. <laughs> That's it. Do you think that, um, like with all these celebrity connections, do you think the reason the band is called The Winners is that they're named after Michael Winner? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Calm down, dear. It's Moby. <laughs> Um, no one's ever got excited for Moby ever. You don't need to calm anyone down if Moby's around. <laughs> Not, Not even, even Moby. Moby. <laughs> he says that in the mirror and doesn't believe it. <laughs> Meanwhile, New Zealand gave the world a bad taste worshipping evil dead pastiche called Deathgasm. Is this my favourite of the month's watch list? Probably is. It's not brilliant, but it's... it's it's yeah, fun. it's got good stuff in it. I like it when they hit them with dildos. Yeah, yeah I quite like this one. That was quite good. Yeah, it's good gore. Like They really go for the physical gore, which is good. And there's some jokes are all right, some are terrible, but it's got a little bit of something. Mm. Yeah, it was quite fun, this one. I really enjoyed the bit with the kind of gangster guy who um, gets the two guys in cloaks to decapitate a bloke and then makes them do it again. And it's the oh, little yeah. flourish that the guy on the right does as mm. he rolls the head away for the second time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really nicely done. Yeah, yeah that one, that was a great gag, <laughs> which makes some of the other earlier mm. gags just feel like, what, is this written by the same person? <laughs> yeah. And the female character in this has two attributes, which are being hot and kicking demons ass yeah. which I guess is something but the thing is one of the funniest things in it isn't even a joke that they wrote themselves it's when he's giving her the albums to make her a metaler one of them is uh, something that looks quite interesting by cattle decapitation and I looked it up to find out what album that was the album's called Hugh Manure and the photo is of a cow shitting out a human <laughs> basically wow <laughs> human <Hugh> Manure yeah. <laughs> Good joke. Yeah, the, the people that made this are clearly sort of into metal in a kind of a, oh, it's cheesy and silly and we love it kind of way, which is quite nice. And also, mm. I like the liberal use of the C words. Cake. Yeah, cake, you fucking cake. Mm. You, you fucking, fucking cake. cake. Fucking Charlie. Yeah, you fucking Charlie cake. <laughs> Charlie, Charlie cake cunt. <laughs> <laughs> it's the weirdest episode of Bluey I've ever seen. <laughs> Blue Bluey. <laughs> Blue Bluey. Fucking hell. Dad, you Charlie cake cunt. Take me to the fucking park. and that brings us up to date Uh, with a genuine band starring as themselves in our second feature 2022's studio 666 directed by bj mcdonald boom fighters you gotta get me a record it's our 10th album we're gonna break the mold on this one let's go somewhere we've never been this place is amazing ever since we moved into this house my mind is flooded We all have writer's block. This is not just a creepy rock and roll house. It allows spiritual entities to cross into our world. Oh my God! Let's finish the track. Can't we just wait, dude? Destroy the drums. Any chefs in the grill? I'm pretty handy on the grill. Yeah, you like your meat charred and dry. 
does make a killer barbecue. Foo Fighters rent a mansion to record their 10th album, but the excellent reverb in the space is in fact the echoes of a massacre that happened in the 90s. That's clever, isn't it? Echoes, reverb, all that. Good. Right. Um, <laughs> Studio 666. Is it a good film? No. 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 Um, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's a bad mm-hmm. film. Um, but 20 years ago, this would have been a 20 minute DVD extra on the Foo Fighters video collection for people that really like the Foo Fighters, and they would have been like lol monsters and that. <laughs> There's some good gore in it. The bit with Lionel Richie is quite funny, but that literally could have been a 30 second viral clip. Uh, Dave Grohl's not a bad actor. Some of the, some of the rest of the band Dave are appalling. Dave really good. Mm. He, he does a, he does a decent job. He's the only um, one out of the band who can probably act. Yeah, mm. Pat Smear is terrible. Pat Smear is awful, but I found yes. that quite endearing. No, Dave Grohl, I thought was really good, and it's, and it pains me to say that because it's such a basic thing to say. Oh, Dave Grohl, what a talented man, what a nice bloke, but it turns out he probably is, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. he probably is. And he can do comedy, turns out. I did like the idea of him being possessed by a demon and becoming just a control freak about them getting the album finished all across. Mm. That yeah. was a, a neat conceit. I thought the deaths were all very entertaining. Mm. I liked the Whitney Cummings, um, which I remember was, was having sex with her and got That was a keyboard guy, wasn't it? Yeah. That was the keyboard guy, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he uh, was an odd fish. I thought that was fun. The whole thing had a weird vibe at the start. It was like, I've never really seen many of them, but it seems like one of those old 1970s TV specials that like South Park used to make fun of uh, in the old days. Do you remember the, the South Park episode about corn, which yeah, was like yeah. a right. Scooby-Doo pastiche? But it kind of had that vibe to it and the whole Jeff Garland as a record exec, uh, like a one-dimensional record exec and all that. It was odd. It, it felt like a TV special and then it had loads of blood and gore in it and stuff. I was super into Foo Fighters when I was like 14 to 16 maybe. When they were... Yeah, yeah. And one of the things I loved about him was like their music videos were always entertaining. Like even Learn to Fly, which is like Mm -hmm. a very middle of the road rock song, the music video was really funny and really good. So there was always there and I can see why they went into a film idea, but it just feels Mm -hmm. like 20, 30 years too late. I feel like you need to be a really massive Foo Fighters fan to to really like this film. Some of the jokes just felt like inside jokes, like maybe to fans. (laughs) (laughs) Barbecue. It's really funny if we say barbecue a lot. I mean, the barbecue death is cool, admittedly, but you know. I mean, I don't mind a fucking swear, you bunch of cunts. But I noticed every other word was fuck. I looked it up and it's like a hundred 165 uses of the F word and good lord <laughs> Simon is shocked who counts these Simon, things Simon's just come over all Presbyterian priest can I get a job as the person that counts swear words in movies yeah no, the, the Americans are all about their parental advisory stuff so there's a, of course there was a website for it so I worked on the website and it was 165 fucks and 39 scatological references oh <laughs> can we guess what they are have you got a list it's probably just them going shit you shitter. Yeah. Yeah. You better not shit yourself again. Um, <laughs> I shat myself. <laughs> Dave, you're going to shit? It's probably not even that. It's probably like, hey, Pat Smear, you big poopy head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Taylor Hawkins. Have you done a plopsy? <laughs> uh, why would you Pat a Smear? Maybe he was a gynecologist previously and he was called Pap Smear. Yeah. Isn't that the whole joke of his name? As soon as I heard his name, I thought, oh, that's a play on Pap Smear. Oh, it probably is. It's not his real name. I know that much. This film is a lot like Suck in that Suck, someone had a favour and called in like four or five successful musicians 
And this one, it was successful musicians calling in Whitney Cummings, mm. Jeff Garland, Will Forte, and then John Carpenter was involved in the theme song. Mm. Do you know what? If Dave Grohl asks you for something, you'd probably do it because he is a nice guy, as you pointed out, Clint. Yeah. It's probably just as well, given that everyone would do anything that he asks. Isn't yeah. It? It's based on a true story, funnily enough. It's like... It's based, based on a based true on story when... by Harry Arsall. All those deaths, no way. No, no, no. no. <laughs> like, like when they were recording their 10th album in a house like that, what I think Dave Grohl says is we would open up a Pro Tools session and tracks would be missing there were some tracks that were put on there that we didn't put on there but just like <laughs> weird open mic noises nobody playing an instrument or anything like that just an open mic recording a room and i mean there is nothing scarier than an open mic recording their own set is there yeah. so it's, it's probably not right for a horror film but i like when they were tuning it and they made the kind of the reverb being the the note of death or whatever it had some good stuff but it just sort of didn't quite know how to use it in an interesting way just well, the deaths were good, though, as Dan says. Like, I like the killings. I like the killings. How many killings is it? Seven, but the way they do them. <laughs> One by <laughs> sexy. <laughs> Don't like that Bradley Pitt. Too much acting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and now for the music that my fellow devils find really scary. Yes, it's the legendary Scary Noises theme tune out now on KTL Records or something. Simon and Bryony, you are on a team against Emily and Dan. Here's your first pair of Scary Noises. The reason I'm going to call Elise in this situation, the reason I know her so well, is because I called her myself once years ago to help you. What are you talking about? It's no accident. Bryony, I hear your pig. What do you got, Bryony? Um, it's the music from Suck. Certainly is. Dialogue's just a Mardi woman. Um, Simon, could you identify the Mardi woman? Nope. They all sound the same to me. Emily and Dan, can you figure out the dialogue? The reason I need to call Elise in this situation, the reason I know her so well, is because I called her myself once years ago to help you. What are you talking about now? It's no accident that your son is a gifted traveler. The ability was handed down to him by his father. No. Is it Attack of the Mardi Woman? <laughs> Sadly not. It's uh, Insidious. Um, oh yeah, and she's not that Mardi. Everyone's Mardi in that film. Uh, the red door, the door. Uh, uh the lost key. Uh, insidious. <laughs> uh, insidious two. Uh, insidious three. The insidious. <laughs> I've not seen it. Somehow I've not seen any of the Insidious <laughs> movies, but I now just imagine it's two hours of people going, eh, it's so Insidious. Insidious. Insidious, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Insidious. Yeah, you fucking Insidious. Fucking Insidious, dickhead. Number two. They're called cartridges. The bullet is a part that enters your brain if you keep talking shit. And this gun only has five cartridges, not six. Because they're big as fuck and only five for the cylinder. Yeah, Emily. Shut the fuck uh, up. The dialogue is from Green Room. Yeah. Music? Uh, I don't know. Something dramatic. I think I know. I think. I'm pretty sure it's a film with puppets. Not about puppets, but it's got fun puppets. Do you know? I mean, I think 
I'll give it a good old stab, Simon, unless you think yeah. you know what it is. Nope, all I can think is Muppets Take Manhattan. And <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Troll, maybe? Oh, I mean, it's the same composer. It's oh. uh, Puppet Master. Oh, it, really, it was about Foxy! puppets. <laughs> oh no, it's got pu- it's got fun puppets, but it's definitely oh, absolute cunt. <laughs> uh, number three. I understand you're having a difficult time killing these things. Just shoot them in the head. They seem to go down permanently when you shoot them in the head. Then you got to burn. You got to burn. Daddy, daddy, put another round of that woman over there. Look, she's a twitcher. Twitcher. Simon. Is the dialogue Hard Rock Zombies? No. No. Didn't know the music. No. No. Emily and Dan. Music and dialogue. I understand you're having a difficult time killing these things. Just shoot them in the head. They seem to go down permanently when you shoot them in the head. Then you gotta burn them. You gotta burn Daddy, daddy. Put another round of that woman over there. Look. She's a twitcher. Twitcher. Now that is one cool motherfucker. Is the music Studio 666? No. Ah, bollocks. Dialogue. I'm bursting. I'm bursting. Brian, what do you reckon it is? I know we won't get the points, but I'm absolutely bursting. So the music's Deathgasm and the dialogue is is Dawn of the Dead. 2004. Oh, fuck. Yeah, correct. But on both counts. Uh, Dawn of the... I was going to say... Halfway through, it is one all. Here's number four. How does it have to do with what you're allowing that? I don't know. I honest to God don't know. But this is the fungus for sure. I saw it enlarged in a TV documentary. Listen, a wood fungus can't attack a person just like that in a matter of minutes. <laughs> yeah, Brian. I've forgotten the bloody name. It's the Italian one. Um, Horror Paganini. Paganini, Paganini Horror. Horror is the dialogue because she saw some. Is. She saw some fungus, you know, in a documentary. And that yeah. fungus is exactly the same on that lady. Um, yeah, and wood fungus can't kill anyone that quickly. And it's somewhat related to violins. Um, anyway, and the music yeah. is, don't know, Simon? No idea. I never know the music. Emily and Dan, any idea what the music was? No. no. It was Frankenstein created woman. Of course. Number five. Because you went to bed with that television I hero. Found a silver caddy with a Which television hero? Yes, Emily. Uh, the music is from the Party Massacre 2. It is, and the dialogue is from... Uh, I don't know. Dan, do you know what the dialogue is? As a new entrant to horror, it's very unlikely. Don't get enough of it. Simon and Bryony, can you get this? I mean, it's not entirely obscure, but it, it's quite a deep dive. You went to bed with that television hero. Which television hero? The guy who shaves. No, not because of him. I did something to myself. You did? Or he did? No, I did. I don't know. I feel like I have seen it. Shaver 2? Shavers only? Shavers only. Shaver, that is not a horror film. That is something completely different <laughs> that you might have watched in your own time. What is it? What is it? Go on. It was The Witch Who Came From The Sea. Oh, yeah. So it's two all. Here's the last pair. Sounds pretty weird. What is it? Got it from a book. A who? A book. Yes, Emily. Uh, the dialogue is from Hard Rock Zombies. Yeah, and the music? Uh, I don't know. Dan, music? Of course I don't know. 
You jumped in so early there, you would have got the music. Mm, fuck. I just get excited when I know what a thing is. That's all. I think this is going to be a tie. I think Simon and Brian are going to know the music. Oh, no, I'm not. Sounds pretty weird. What is it? Got it from a book. A who? A book, you know? Book. Shit. Said in the Middle Ages, it uses music to raise the dead. Raise the dead? What for us? Probably to mop your floors or uh, paint your house. Fuck your wife. Oh, yes. I do know what that is. Always get deep red and tenebrae mixed up, Simon. Which one is it? It's deep red, I think. Are you sure? I, I don't know. I can't. I think deep red, but I mean. Cliff's giving nothing away on his face. All right. Let, I mean, two for two, deep red. Let's do it. It is deep red. Yay! Profondi Rossi! So that is three all. Tense. Which once again means I don't get to do my joke about winners and losers and what your prizes are. It, it ruins the whole script. Do it anyway. It was going to say, congratulations to our winners. You win a room full of groupies. Bad luck to our losers. You win an email full of groupons. Hey, that's very good. Yeah. Alternatively, I had, uh, congratulations to our winners. You win a Karang Award. Bad luck to our losers. You win a Karang subscription. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Neither of them matter. It was a draw. Dan Fardell, thanks for being our support act this evening. Thank you. Where can people catch you actually performing live on stage? Uh, I'm doing a preview of my new one-hour show in your very establishment, the Carolina Brunswick, this Sunday. That's right, but I don't think this episode will be out in time for anyone to (laughs) run down and see it. Well, if you fancy (laughs) travelling back in time to watch it, it'll be worth it. I'm doing four shows in the May Fringe of it as well. I think it's going to be called Don't Look Back. I'm not sure. And On The Edge has got our December 1st show uh, and we've got the brilliant Joe Neary headlining and I'm really excited about that. And we've got the also brilliant Christian Jagard open. So good act. Yeah, so basically, if you're in Brighton, come to the Carolina of Brunswick and you'll see Dan most likely doing something or other. (laughs) Uh, Next month, dogs, killer dogs. A mere six years and one month after we did an episode on killer cats. I mean, I'm a cat guy. I'm a cat guy. We all are, aren't we? Oh, yeah. I like dogs yeah. as well. Because yeah. yeah, it's, it's like a 21st dogs. century. You can like both. Yes, yeah, swing both ways. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm bipetual. Bipetual. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> anyway, it's my choice of theme. So I've chosen one of the features and that is Brian Usner's Rottweiler. <laughs> I've never seen it, but Brian Usner's usually good value. Mm-hmm. It was a tie in Scary Noises. Do you want to collectively choose the other feature? Cujo. 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 Right, Cujo. All being well then, that episode with Rottweiler and Cujo will be in your ears before Christmas. And of course, we'll also be running through our highs and lows of the year, as per tradition. Until then, thanks for listening. And now let's get the rock out of here. It sounds like let's get the fuck out of here. Very good, very good.